And good morning. You are listening to the prologue. I'm very glad you tuned in this morning. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I am an Atlanta author. If you enjoy action fiction that's plausible and not fanciful, I invite you to look for my series on Amazon.com. Now, that series begins with the sun, Silas Rising. There's something else that I get to do, and I really enjoy that perhaps as much or maybe even more than writing. And that's meeting and bringing to you folks other authors that maybe you haven't heard of just yet. This show is very special, and you're going to be very happy that you found us today. As we say in the South, you're going to be blessed. My guest this South. Hey, Mr. Alford, be right with you there. Okay, hang on. Into the show. My guest this hour brings us his novel of our great Civil War. It is a novel, though based on actual letters written by members of this man's family who were actual participants in the fighting. Think about that for a minute. As always, we'd like to recognize our military who are currently serving us and protecting us. Thank you guys and gals for what you do. And I want you to know I dedicate this hour to all who have ever worn the uniform of this country and fought for her under the many different flags and for the many different causes that we've had. Now, as I said, our guest today, who just chimed in a minute ago, is Mr. James E. Alford, and he brings us his novel or memoir titled Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War. And this is your prologue. On May 5th, 1863, the writer says, Dear Sister, Through the mercies and blessings of God, I can say that I am alive and well. I've been in another terrific battle. The engagement was on last Friday. The enemy drove in our pickets about 3 o'clock in the morning, at which time an artillery duel commenced and lasted all day. At 7 o'clock in the morning, fighting commenced with small arms. We only had two brigades of men, about 6,000. The enemy had over 20,000. We fought bravely until 11 o'clock, and then they began to outflank us. We had to give way to superior forces. We fell back a mile, met with reinforcements, and took another stand. We held that position till night and retreated in the cover of night. That letter is signed, R.C. Bridges, Private, 11th Mississippi Infantry. Now, Richard C. Bridges was the brother to Mary Caroline Bridges Alford. She was our guest's great-grandmother. Author James E. Alford collected the letters of Private R.C. Bridges and other direct family members during that time of the Civil War. He organized them and created stories around them, And from that, we have this exciting historical novel. Now, that title, again, is Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War. And here to tell us about his book is Mr. James E. Alford. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Doug. How are you? I'm very well. Glad to have you with us on the prologue. This is America's Web Radio, and we're going out worldwide and uh, your story is something that the entire world needs to hear, and I hope folks are tuning in this morning. 
Now, Private Bridges was perhaps the most prolific writer in the whole bunch of your family members, but exactly how many relatives can you document that were directly involved in the Civil War? Well, my great-grandfather, Alford, my great-grandfather, McCormick, my great-grandfather, um, who was um, a small young boy who went in and was drafted into the Alabama regiment, who was named Palmer, and then uh, my great-uncle, who was Richard C. Bridges. They were my primary people who were in the war. There were a lot more that were, were cousins and people of that nature, but I don't have anything on them. I just have the information about these people and also my wife's grandfather, who was uh, Mr. Smith, and he is in the book, and uh, he fought bravely in it too. So I just documented all this, and the reason I wrote the book was for my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to be able to know what happened to our family during that conflict and how brave these men were and what they gave up to try to protect their families, their land, and their way of life during that horrific time. And so I put it all on paper for them, but then it suddenly became more than that, and it got so interesting to me, I, I decided just to put it in a book form and see if anybody else might want to read it too. Everybody else really needs to read it too. Now, as you were listing off those relatives, and folks, again, these are direct descendants, or Mr. Alford is a direct descendant of all seven of these folks, as I counted, that actual letters, while they were participants in battles that were written back to their home folks back at home. How did you manage to come across all these letters, sir? Well, I came across them mostly from family members. Um, my great-aunt Emma Alford, who was the firstborn of my grandfather, Sandy Alford, uh, kept all the letters that came in from uh, him to Mary Caroline and to the people in our family in Crystal Springs, Mississippi. She held those, and you can find those in the archives of Mississippi and in the National Registry up in Washington, D.C. They're beautiful letters, all of them, and they document the things that he did, but also he was just wanting to let his sister and his cousins and people like that know what was going on in his life. And uh, he was an interesting character. Richard C. Bridges was in the last graduating class from Ole Miss before the Civil War started. He was put into this unit called University Graves, and they fought under the 11th Mississippi. One of the most unusual things was he was going to be a lawyer. He was the only one in this group that was from a plantation owner. Most of the people in my book were just um, people who were farmers or tradesmen in towns. And he became an a, a, a lawyer in a way that was 
just amazing because when he became the lawyer, he went straight into the army and started fighting in the war, and he never got above the rank of corporal before he got killed. And he was the only one of the whole group that did die. But, of course, we know if any of those other members had had died, I wouldn't be here talking to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Very yeah. good point. Now, there, yeah. having grown up in the family, there are some of these folks that you were probably aware of most of your life, but others, were, were you aware of everyone that had participated in writing these letters, or how did you go about getting the information of them? Well, I started out with my great Aunt Emma because she lived um, to be a ripe old age of 94. But my great-grandfather McCormick started all this because he lived to six days shy of 100, and I knew him well. And I was a young boy when he died in 1934, and he and I talked many, many times about things. He never would tell me much about the actual fighting, but he told me about family members, and he told me about some of the things that went on in his life and the things that he loved and, and what he fought for. Now, besides the obvious historical value that uh, this book offers to us, you had some very personal reasons to record these memories. You touched on it slightly, but... Go over that again. As you delved into these letters and discovered really what they were, uh, what was it that touched you about it made you want to record this? I guess the thing that got to me more than anything else was the honor, the valor, and the just complete ability to give their all for their 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 cause and what they believed in it, it all they did not want to fight but they all wanted to be a part of that that war because they believed in what the south stood for and what 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 we were fighting about and most people don't even know what that is anymore because history has changed so much in the minds of a lot of people and a lot of things, but the the knowing of these people and the ability to talk to them and know what happened to them and to their families during that war just touched me so deeply. I had to put it down on paper. I just had to do it, and I had to let my children know and my grandchildren know what they had done because they suffered so much during that war, lost so much during that war, and actually never recovered most of it. And it it was a sad time, but it was a glorious time for these people because they fought as hard as anybody ever fought in a war for any cause, and they believed in it. And I believed in it, too, because when I read about it and heard what was going on, about the taxation and what was going on as between the North and the South during that time, I realized what had actually caused that war. It wasn't slavery. Slavery was just a, a, an issue they put in. This was fought over taxes, the same thing we fought the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812 for. So they were men that believed in the cause and fought for it. I felt now, the same way. 
as you were collecting all this information, because obviously anybody can understand why a family member would want to collect this for their family, exactly at what point in time did you really realize there's a book here? I really need to put this in a book and share it with the entire world. Do you remember when that happened? I think it happened more when I got the letters from Richard Bridges than anything else. But then again, there was another colorful character in there, who <laughs> Will Montgomery, who had written all the things about his service during that war, and and I got excited about that. And he was he was a part of my wife's family. And between those two people and those things, and sitting there on that back porch with my great-grandfather, looking at a sunset, and him saying to me, the prettiest sunset I ever saw was in the trenches at Vicksburg during the war. Well, we want to him. come back. We want to come back and hear all about that. Uh, all we're right. talking this morning with Mr. James E. Alford. And we're here on America's Web Radio. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate, on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And good morning again. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We are back on America's Web Radio with your prologue. Now, this morning our guest is very special. It's Mr. James E. Alford. He brings to uh, the show his amazing book. It's kind of a combination of a memoir and a novel. 
Uh, it's based on actual writings, but of course he has added to it uh, what must have happened back home when the folks at home received these marvelous letters. The title of his book is Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War. And we didn't get to do it in that first quarter, Mr. Alford, but uh, your book is available to folks where? Where can they find this great book? Uh, they can buy it through Amazon or Kindle, either one, and uh, it's available. And uh, I love to know that people are reading my book because it means so much to me. So if they want to do it, they can get it through them or they can get it through me if they want to contact me. How would they contact you, Mr. Alford, if they wanted to get a signed copy? Uh, they can they can call me at my home. Uh, my telephone number is 770-485-5464. And I would be delighted to talk to them about the book and also to, to sign a book if they'd like to have one. All right, very good. And again, through Amazon, and the name is James E. Alford, and that's spelled A-L. F-O-R-D. You can find it by going on Amazon.com, books, and putting in Mr. Alford's name. Now, we were talking earlier about uh, how prolific Private R.C. Bridges was, and he was a member of, as you mentioned, the 11th Mississippi Infantry. Now, that's a rather famous unit. Uh, We touched on it, but how about telling the folks a little bit more about the 11th Mississippi and University Grace. Well, that group of men got together in in the college and decided to put the unit together and serve in the Confederate Army uh, under that that banner. They fought in Bull Run. They were in Antietam. They were in Gettysburg and uh, the Peninsula Campaign, the Wilderness Campaign, and all through Lee's uh, armies, the fights, they were in every one of them. To give you an idea of how wonderful that unit was, in the Battle of Bull Run, they lost about 250 men of the original group of that, that regiment. Now, that was just one company of that that regiment. But then in Gettysburg, they were in Pickett's Charge, and out of that unit, everybody in that unit was either killed, wounded, or missing in action. He was killed, he, he was hit, excuse me, in the leg, leg with a, a mini ball in the beginning of the charge, and... Uh, it was either that or a shell fragment. We couldn't figure exactly what it was based on his letter. He survived that wound and and had to be recuperated for a while, so he missed uh, a couple of small battles. But then in the wilderness, the first day of the wilderness, he was wounded in the leg, and they had to remove his leg. And the letters he wrote to his family about that incident and then the one that came to them about his death are very poignant and uh, uh, still are cherished by the family members and people in the archives. If they ever want to read those letters, they can read them in, their, in the entirety 
actual letters from the uh, from the Mississippi archives. But he was he was a colorful character and a and a wonderful boy, wonderful uh, brother and uh, son, and did all he could do, but never never once flinched from his duty, and never asked why he wasn't an officer, why he wasn't given a special treatment or anything. He just went out there and fought. As we said earlier, these are direct descendants, or you are. It's hard to say that in reverse, but you're the direct <laughs> descendant of these individuals. Can we tell the folks out there listening, how old are you, Mr. Alfred? Tell them how uh, July the 31st, I will be 87. 87 years old. Some of these stories you got from your great-grandfather's knee, uh, and, and he was one of the people that we're talking about from within this book. Now, there's not right. many people around that have that connection. No, I was, I was blessed. Absolutely. Now, tell us more about that family. Uh, just tell us compl- about your family in general. All right. My great-grandfather, McCormick, was my mother's father, my great-grandfather, her grandfather, and he was um, came to Mississippi from North Carolina, Larnburg, North Carolina, in the 1840s. He joined the Confederate Army in 1860, right at the beginning of the war, and uh, fought all the way through it, and was in Shiloh, Vicksburg, Corinth, um, um, all Port Gibson, all the campaigns around that area. Then he was in the Atlanta campaign, and he was in the Tennessee campaign, Franklin and uh, Nashville, and then fought with the uh, Six Mississippi uh, all the way through until the last battle in in South Carolina, and uh, then in North Carolina, the large, the small skirmish that was the last one. He was in Joseph E. Johnson's army at that time and then had to walk all the way back there from Mississippi to, to Mississippi because Sherman did not give any transportation to any of the uh, boys that were fighting for the South. So that's the reason you hear of them walking back from one place to another. But I think my grandfather <laughs> had one of the longest walks of all of them. Now, my other grandfather, Alford, Sandy Alford, he was um, fought in the Army, but he came in right after Shiloh and fought in Corinth and from there on through the war. Uh, he was married, married to Mary Caroline Bridges, and he was a farmer, and he had a, a wonderful place out from um, Crystal Springs, and uh, when he left, he left her with a the farm, and very, very little that she could have other than that. So between she and uh, a black man called, uh, let's see, what was his name? Old Mose. They looked after the property and absolutely lived through that war and looked after little Emma and took care of her the whole time 
and survived that war. She was a very resourceful woman and, and a wonderful person. Aunt Emma reflected her in every way, and she had all the stories of the family that you see in there that tell about the suffering they went through during that war. My great-grandfather Palmer came from uh, Texas as a young boy on a cattle boat during the war to Mobile, Alabama, and ran the blockade. He was then isolated because Vicksburg fell, and he couldn't get back to Texas. So he was marooned there in uh, Mobile, and someone told him that if he joined the Confederate Army, he'd at least have some food and a and a, and a uniform, so he joined the 36th Alabama. And his first battle was Chickamauga. So they were all pretty colorful people, <laughs> and they, they, they were very, very, very sweet, wonderful people. I never knew anything in my life but love from my family, and a lot of people can't say that. But all of us were close, and the love I shared with all of these people made a big impact on my life, I'll tell you. How has your family uh, reacted to the book? Uh, is everybody on board and, and, and proud of you for doing this? I certainly hope so. But how do your grandchildren feel about this book? Well, I'll tell you, every one of them has read it. All my children have read it. And the be- probably the best accolade I've had. I have one grandchild um, uh, that lives in Cameron Price, who lives in England. My daughter married an Englishman. They live over there. And he used my book as one of the things he was trying to do to get into Oxford. And that made me so proud I couldn't stand it. And he is interested so much in history. And he and I have talked many, many times about the chapters of the book and what happened and uh, was that true about this and true about that and uh, were taxes actually the cause and all the things that, that come up because... They've never heard things like that in England. All they ever heard, the younger generations, are what they see in the paper and and the news and everything. And the history of the Civil War is being rewritten right now to the point that there's no way that we're going to be able to keep it the way it was intact unless they just go back to the archives and read themselves and find out because... It's being distorted so much, and the reason for the war, and and what those men fought for. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen in this country about that, or to our country itself. We're we're going through a period that, that's so hard on this country. And well, I agree. We, I agree a hundred percent. And and there's an adage. I think it was uh, something Winston Churchill once said that's being applied today. Uh, he said it in jest, but he said that uh, history will be kind to me. I plan to write it myself. <laughs> and, and that is kind of what is happening. Folks who don't like what actually transpired are going back and rewriting it. And we're getting ready. We're going to take another break in just a minute. But we're oh. going to want to come back and through your studies, I mean, these aren't just your opinions or ideas, but these are things no. that you look into. We're going to ask you more about what the causes were according to what you've discovered. And we're here this morning with Mr. James E. Alford. The book is Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War, 
and we're on the prologue here at America's Web Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. My name is Dr. Jeff Terry from Mobile, Alabama. I love taking care of my patients and not computers. That is why I need your help. On October 1st, the government will mandate that I implement the new ICD-10 coding system, and if not able to do so, then I will be put out of business and my patients will have to find a new physician. Please call and write your congressmen and senators today and tell them no to ICD-10. Tell them physicians need a grace period in order to concentrate on you, the patient, and not the computer. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back. Good morning to you out there. My name is Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. This guest this morning is James E. Alford. He brings to us a book that is very unusual and one that you should have in your home library. Uh, the title is Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War, and it is actually based on real letters that members of Mr. Alford's family wrote, seven of them, letters they wrote back to their family at home while they were participants in our Civil War. Now, today, uh, there are a lot of people who have particular ideas and opinions and reasons that they believe that that war was fought over. Some of them are based on fact, and a lot of them are based on just what they want to believe or what they've been told. And Mr. Alford has some actual studies and some documents, archives, and letters from people who were there, people who were participants. And, Mr. Alford, from your family and from your perspective of what you've learned, what, what were the causes? What were people fighting for back in 1860? Um, basically, it was about the fact that anything that we sent from the South across the Mason-Dixon line, which was put in as a, a 
kind of a border between the South and the North was tax going up there against us and anything coming back to the South in any form or fashion after it went up there and was used like cotton was our basic product, which was taxed against us again when it would come back to us. It caused a rift between the states so bad that many of the plantation owners went to France and to England to sell their products rather than selling them from the North. That further inflamed the North against the South. And in addition to that, as they did these things to the South, it was bleeding us dry as far as money was concerned. We did not have any of the foundries or the factories or the things like that in the South that they had up north to produce products. If we'd had that, we could have offset that, and we wouldn't have had the problem. But the problem existed, and it got more and more divisional and got more and more inflamed. Then they brought in to inflame the people in the north against the south the issues of slavery and the other things. They were firebrand issues mostly, and... uh it came in at a time when it just further put the split between us and further made the South feel that, that they were really put upon. Now, when the war actually started, the Confederate Army would go north or go south, and then they, the Union Army would take territory. When they took a plantation... They listed all the things that were at the plantation. And that would include the slaves that had been bought and used as labor. They didn't call them slaves. They didn't call them people. They called them contraband. They were goods that were liberated from the southern people. And I thought that was so significant that they wouldn't do it. My great-grandmother uh, uh, told her daughter, Aunt Emma, all the reasons for the war and what it had done to them financially. And she gave those figures to me. She said, you cannot believe how my mother and my father suffered before the Civil War financially because of what they did. So that's that's basically what caused the war. Again, we're not going to convince everybody this morning, but I'm just saying, no. that, uh, folks, if you want to, really get into history there are archives available to you on your own uh, but this book is a great place to start uh, there's no reason for these folks from 170 years ago to be telling you a story uh, this is what they felt like and, and mr. Alford the story that you put together is a very personalized account of the war from the viewpoint of the different members of your family now could mm -hmm. you tell our listeners out here uh, what the living conditions and the lack of supplies and just the basic conditions back home during that time were. Talk about that for a few minutes, would you? All right. The Confederate soldier very seldom had a change of uniform. He very seldom had a change of shoes or socks or anything. Many times my, gra my gra great aunt told me that her mother would send things from the the uh, farm to my great-grandfather Alford 
and to McCormick to give them something to wear. They'd have homespun shirts, uh, trousers, anything they could get to them because once their basic uniform, the first one they had gave out, there weren't uniforms to be gotten from the Confederate Army. They, the Confederate Army didn't have a lot of money. In addition to that, everything that happened on that farm was a trauma for my great-grandmother and, and her daughter and, and everybody on it because they had raiders come through there from 1862 all the way to 1864. And they would come through and take food. They would take anything they could get to help uh, feed their army when they were down there. And uh, my great-grandmother was so resourceful. She figured ways to save everything as she could. They had a cow and they had a pig, and they had babies from that, of course. And they also had sugarcane crop, and they had a, uh, a vegetable garden now. They would take the vegetables and they'd take the canned goods that they had figured out the raiders would. But she had a creek back there that had some quicksand in it. And so to protect her cow, she always, when they found out the raiders were coming, would put the cow across the creek. And once they got them back there and the pig too, then if the, the soldiers came in, She'd say, well, you're welcome to go back there and try to get them if you can, but there's quicksand in that um, in that creek, and uh, you might might get caught in it. And also she said it's infested with moccasins. And when she did that, most of them wouldn't even go out there and try. So they she saved her cow, and she saved those things. Now, these raiders you mentioned, were these regular Union troops or were these mercenaries? Sometimes, and they were mercenaries sometimes, but mostly they were they were Union troops that were sent out to forage for the army, because once they got past Vicksburg and 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 landed, they started spreading out through Mississippi, gathering what they could for the army, and they went um, towards my hometown of Brookhaven and and towards Crystal Springs and those areas which were below Jackson, and. Uh, uh, below the line from there to Vicksburg, because most of the fighting was from Port Gibson and uh, Grand Gulf up to Vicksburg and um, and Jackson. Jackson was burned so many times they call it Chimneyville during the war, and uh, the Yankee troops just went through there and burned it every time they'd go through, and uh, they 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 just tried to 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 live out that war, and it was very hard on the families, very hard. And they freed uh, Mose and told him to go on, and they, they would give him 20, uh, 30 or 40 acres and a mule after the war was over. And so they took him away from the farm when they uh, came over to raid on it one time. And he got up around Jackson. He couldn't couldn't live. He couldn't. He didn't have anything to to live off of. So he went back down to the farm. And just worked there as a free man with uh, with my grand, grand great grandmother. Now, Mr. Alford's already shared with us that in about a week he's going to reach eighty-seven years old. You had two great grandfathers that you write about in this book. One of them, you actually sat at his knee and listened to him tell you stories. Which one was right. that, sir? That's McCormick, my mother's right. uh, father, grandfather. You 
and this is a gentleman that participated in the war, and you actually had the privilege of meeting him and listening to him. Tell, tell us a little bit about what he shared with you. Well, he shared that um, wonderful thing about the rainbow over in um, um, and the sunset and all those things in, in Vicksburg. But he also told me about Port Gibson, Shiloh, uh, Nashville, Franklin, some of the things about um, uh, the different leaders that they had under him and the ones they, that he had really, really uh, an appreciation of and the ones he thought did a bad job. He, uh, he was in the 6th Mississippi, which considered this bloodiest outfit in the Southern Confederate Army. Not the not Lee's army, but the Confederate army down south, and they were involved in every major battle. Uh, in uh, Shiloh, they went in with 425 men and came out with a hundred. They went into Franklin and they were decimated in that battle. Every battle they fought in, they were right in the forefront and they did things that were just amazing. And how the how they lived through it and how he lived through it without getting a scratch on him as far as a bullet or a piece of shrapnel is amazing. Because back in those days, if you were in the infantry, you didn't have a job other than guaranteeing them that they were gonna, you were going to fire that weapon because there wasn't any such thing as a lot of people sitting in the background doing nothing. Everybody was involved, including officers. Those charges were horrendous. And how they lived through him, I don't know. But he was quite a man, I'll tell you. He worked in his garden until he was 98 years old. And I'd follow him around like a little baby. <laughs> I loved it. He was a character from word go. What age were you at that time, sir? I was between three and five years old, and he died when I was five. But I can remember him so well. He had a white beard and a goatee and a mustache. And he took a cold bath every day and kept his derby hat on. And I asked him one morning, I saw him in there, and I said, Papa, I said, what are you doing with your hat on? He said, it keeps the heat in my head. <laughs> well, but he was, he, was, he was a character. <laughs> well, again, folks, this is one of seven direct relatives of Mr. Alford. He is their descendant. And seven of these folks actually participated in the Great Civil War. And of the seven, there was but one who actually was killed as a direct result of that war, and that was R.C. Bridges. The rest of them lived afterwards and were able to record and, and tell more about their story. And we're going to come back and we want to hear some more about your other great-grandfather, the one that you bear his name, uh, and more about uh, the conditions and what was going on back then when we come back. Again, my name is Doug Dahlgren. You are listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, 
you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. for a new show here on America's Web Radio. We call it the Prologue. I'll be introducing you to other writers you may not have heard of yet. That's Fridays at 11 a.m. here on America's Web Radio. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back. This morning we are having the very big pleasure to talk with James E. Alford. He is the author of Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War. Now, this is a novel memoir. It is based on actual letters written by his family members and sent back to the folks at home from the front. So this is something that not everybody can claim that they have available to them. And Mr. Alford had two great-grandfathers among those seven that were participants in the war, we mentioned uh, Mr. McCormick, and now we want to ask him about his namesake, Alexander Sandy Alford, who was in the, he was a lieutenant in the 36th Mississippi Infantry. Mr. Alford, tell us about your great-grandfather Alford, please. Uh, he was born in uh, South Carolina and uh, moved to Mississippi. There were seven brothers that left the Alford family and went around the southeast, and he went to Brookhaven and then to uh, Crystal Springs. And when he settled in Crystal Springs, he uh, started a farm there and uh, met Mary Caroline Bridges, Merida, and had uh, re- uh, several uh, children by them. My, my grandfather, uh, uh, James Alexander Alford, named for him. And um, um, he, was, he was just an all-round sweet, gentle, wonderful man who worked hard all his life and then served well during the war. He got in a little later because in the beginning he was trying to set the affairs of his farm um, so he could go on and help the Confederacy, but, but he couldn't leave right in the beginning. But he put together a unit of, of men down in Kapai County in Crystal Springs and uh, joined the 36th Mississippi Regiment. He came in in time to be able to fight a little bit south of Corinth and then um, at uh, Chickasaw Bayou, which was a prelude to 
the Vicksburg campaign. He was then in the trenches in Vicksburg, and when Sherman made his attack on the Confederate lines, he was had been moved over about a quarter of a mile to where the Louisiana and the Arkansas Regiment were, and he was the one that repulsed the 36th Mississippi was a unit that repulsed Sherman's attack after they blew up the mines underneath that unit. They ended up um, kind of saving the day that day because if they'd ever gotten through that, they would have broken the Confederate lines and the siege lines would have been nothing. You can find those markers in Vicksburg if you go and visit the this um, battleground and also right next to where he was in the beginning was where my great-grandfather was, McCormick was, at Fort Hill. Uh, and you can see both those things right there. And it was it was just one of those situations where they got to know each other. And when my mother and dad decided to marry, he asked my dad, he said, Are you any kin to Sandy Alford up in Crystal Springs? And he said, I am. He says, He and I were great friends during the war. And it just, my family was related to them from the time of the Civil War, just in different ways all through the history of, of that part of Mississippi. But he was a great man after the war. He went up to try to serve in the legislature because he was elected from, from Kapai County. And when he got up there, the carpetbag government would not let him serve and send him back home. And so he never got to serve, but he was elected to the legislature. But things like that man. happened. Things like that happened all over the place. It's, it's one of the tragedies that nobody talks about today. There uh, are there are details from these letters from uh, your grandfather Alfred and your grandfather McCormick, as well as the other family members. The details of the battles that give you mm. insight and to be able to write about it, folks that just love history or, or just reading, uh, the, the detail of the battles that's, that's in this book are just amazing, and you're going to want to look at it for that, if nothing else. But also, Mr. Alford, you visited many of these battlefields yourself in your research. T- tell us a few that you actually went to and uh, took the time to visit. Well, there's not many of them I didn't visit. I've um, I've been to all of them except that last little battle in North Carolina. Um, I've been to Antietam. I've been to Gettysburg. I've been to Vicksburg, Port Gibson. I've been to Shiloh. I've been to Corinth. I've been to uh, Franklin, all the battlefields of Atlanta, and um, all the ones of the Tennessee campaign. And by the way, I had the wonderful, wonderful opportunity to meet one of the most interesting men in the world that I've ever known, and I think anybody that ever talked to him would attest to this, a man named Wilbur Kurtz, who was a historian on Gone with the Wind, I climbed the highest mountain, and the great locomotive chase. He came to Atlanta after the Civil War as a young boy, fell in love with the history around there, visited all the battlefields, Chickamauga, he, he visited all of them, and actually all the markers in Georgia that are there were placed by him when they started putting the markers for the Civil War around this state. He was 
so knowledgeable. He married the daughter of Captain Fuller, who was a man who chased the Yankees back in the great locomotive chase back to Chattanooga. I actually saw uh, Captain Fuller's pistol, his watch, and his chain that he took to, with him and his keys to the locomotive. He, he, he just had so much knowledge, and he was a man that put all the foreground into the psychorama, which is the rails and the viewing platform and the small figures that lead up to the painting itself. Now, as you probably know, they've just closed the psychorama, and they're right. going to move it to the history center. And I hope it doesn't lose any of its its value and and its meaning for our part of the country because it is a part of our history, and you cannot take history away. You can only listen to it and learn from it and do something about it. And there's that that's excuse me. Well, I was going to say there's not a lot that we can do historically, other than folks like yourself, and I don't know how many of you are left, that have that direct tie to the Civil War. But equally important, and also we're losing that history, you, sir, and my, my father and many, many other folks served in World War II. And yeah. that's a history there. Say a little bit about that. I know that that is very meaningful to you. Uh, give us your thoughts on those men and what they did. I, I, I can't tell you enough about what those men did. They, um, they saved this world, but not only that, they were the most patriotic bunch of people that have ever been in this country or any country. They fought that war for one reason, to keep the freedom that we have, and they did it. I got in right towards the last of the war, and I got in because I just didn't want it to pass me up, so I joined. And I didn't see a lot of that war. I saw quite a bit of it in Korea, but I didn't see a lot of it in the Second World War. I ended up on Okinawa as the war ended and then served in the occupation troops afterwards. But I can tell you this, what I saw in Okinawa and what they did in all those islands in the Pacific and Europe and all over to save this world and the sacrifices they made, this country cannot appreciate that enough. You will not believe until you stand at some of those cemeteries and look at those crosses that are endless of the men who gave their lives to save what we have here. And our freedom is so important to us, and we cannot let anything erode that. And the thing is that we're losing the American dream, and we're losing our freedoms, and we cannot afford to do that. And these men fought for it, died for it, bled for it, and they were wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. That whole generation of men, we can't thank them enough. They did a job that is uh, lasting amazingly up through today and has allowed really three other generations following them to uh, become rather cavalier about what they left them. And I know that uh, there are ears out there that are hearing you and I this morning that don't really believe what we're telling them, that something like that, that they've always had and it's always just been there. 
could be lost, but it certainly can. It can be lost in an instant. And uh, your service, we thank you so much for your service. Uh, we thank you for this great book, this historical record of uh, the Civil War. And uh, I'm sorry the time is just getting away from us real fast now. you got 30 seconds. Is there anything that you need to add before we close for today? Love this country, protect this country, and give something to this country because it's given everything to you. That's, that's, a, that's wonderful. That's a mouthful. And, folks, I hope you'll hear it again. Our guest this morning, Mr. James E. Alford, that's spelled A-L-F-O-R-D. His book is Letters from the Front, Echoes of the Civil War. It's available on Amazon.com in paperback, and I do hope you'll go there. Look for it, order it, and uh, it's something that you'll just really enjoy having. And, folks, I thank you listeners for being there today. Please tell your friends about the program. Tell them to look for the podcast in the archives section, this and all the other shows we've had on the prologue. We thank you again so much for being here, and we will see you next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.